Welcome to Movement is My Constant. In this podcast, I invite movement professionals to share their embodied knowledge through open conversations as an inspiration for organizations and leaders to design and influence the future of work. Listen to the body and the space with curiosity and become a virtuous dancer in the world of ideas. Wow. <laughs> is a movement researcher, teacher, choreographer at the School for New Dance Development here in Amsterdam. And I would like also to consider her as a student in the way she adapts to space with humbleness. We are recording at the dance school where Ria has been teaching since 1980 after she also graduated here. Ria's non-judgmental attitude is reflected on the impact she has among students as well her colleagues at school and her ability to tune in is an invitation to explore and practice movement whenever we can. This seems a wonderful way to go through life and the metaphor for how we go about it. Welcome Ria to Movement is my constant. Thank you. You just came out of a class? No, no, just had a meeting with a colleague, and nay, actually, and somebody who was a student of mine long time ago, and she is now teaching, and I met her somewhere, and we decided to have a coffee together, to reconnect ah, a bit. That sounds good. Yeah. In this reconnection with your student, is she revisiting your work, or for her own No, not necessarily. Work? We were just uh, talking about the past. Because the SNDO went through so many changes. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, I followed the whole waving of whatever happened there mm -hmm. and how the school is now is so different. And she graduated in 91. I saw a video where you were bringing students to the Ritman uh, library. This was uh, maybe 2015, I think. And I was very curious about that, how it impacted students. Yeah. Now, nowadays, since a few years, I call my work the alchemist body. I like the word alchemist because I found out that the old alchemists, like before science, they really had to use their body to feel things, like the temperature of the fire, uh, the time stretch of things, like in their older processes that they were working with, because they didn't have the let's say the machinery like uh, to measure things mm -hmm. in that time so um, what I teach is to let people really feel their bodies more yeah. Yeah. in short and like nowadays uh, uh, people are more in their head in a way yeah. so that's why I call it the alchemist body and I did a study and uh, like in, from 94 on, I studied in Indonesia. I went with somebody in the nature, and that was really beautiful to learn something about uh, reading your environment through your body, mm -hmm. by changing your body uh, into what you see mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and become it, rather than just with distance 
let's say, have a judgment about it, but to really experience your environment by changing yourself, like a chameleon, in a way. I call it chameleoning. <laughs> oh, that's a good word. <laughs> and then when I came back from these studies in Indonesia, I was interested in the, uh, the, my own culture, because sometimes we go to so-called exotic countries to learn something exotic. Yeah. But I felt it was just reconnecting me with something. Mm -hmm. So at some point in the late 90s, I followed a course with Professor Hanegraaf in the, at the UVA. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot about uh, magic and mystic history of mm -hmm. Europe. So that went all the way back uh, a little bit from Egypt and then to Greece and then from the early, early centuries, yeah. uh, also before the Enlightenment, you know, and he was talking about witchcraft and the Rose Cross and, uh, and the Freemasons and Kabbalah and, and Shaman, which was all practiced also here. And he brought that book, Alchemy, from Alexander Rope. It's full of pictures from... Uh, alchemy, mm -hmm. beautiful, mm -hmm. historical, uh, from many different countries. And uh, they have subjects like the moon, the ladder, the snake, aurora, very beautiful. And I use it in my workshop. So you allow your students to, with their minds, explore yeah. and learn, yeah. Yeah. but then they really have to embody that. Yeah. That's very creative. This is really what I believe in, this connection of bringing what I know and what I'm interested in and then connect it for new teachings in your case? No, yeah, I use this for my creative workshop mm -hmm. and more as a kind of metaphor for the choreographer mm -hmm. needs to pass everything, everything mm -hmm. through their own bodies uh -huh. to experience it before they can, like, let's say, pass it on either to the dancers or to the audience the choreographer as an alchemist. I wanted to introduce your collection of, of the research, of movement research, exactly with that story of Indonesia. This book, what was amazing to me, perhaps as a designer, is how compact is, it is. It's just like A5, 156 pages, including drawings, and it's a bliss to read. And you still go back and you find more, and you go back and you find more. So it's almost like it has a sort of a vertical depth to it in just a little pocket-size uh, book. So I was really curious because it sums up about almost three decades of work. Yeah. How was this process? Um, yes, well, I don't consider myself as a fluent writer. Okay. So I was supposed to be interviewed and somebody else would write it. But what happened is that the way it was written, I didn't recognize myself in it. Because I think every writer also has their own style or maybe a little interpretation of what they think it is. And so then I wrote words on cards and from the conversations that we already had. And I, just words that came often in my conversation with me the language that I use, and I spread them out uh, in my house on the t big table, yeah. and then I made groupings, and then each time I tried to write a little bit from this bundle of words and, and regroup them again. And then, like in the book, the first chapter is about adaptation, and actually in this process I learned that I use a lot, I work with 
organs and fluids and chakras and uh, my knowledge about dance and alignment release and so on and mix it all. Mm -hmm. But the main thing is to help people to understand what adaptation is yeah. and adaptation both from their own inside towards themselves as from the outside to, to adapt to the space around you, mm -hmm. to read your space around you. So I just say things like don't label, read. Labeling is quickly done, reading is a longer process. Yeah. That was the kind of overall thing, yeah. what I'm doing it for, yeah. and all the other things are, let's say, instruments to mm -hmm. um, be able to do that. Yeah. There's also another thing that I feel it's connected to adaptation, it's the identity. You talk a lot about identity, how it was important to leave a certain identity behind. In 1986, the school changed the name to the School for New Things yeah, Development. Yeah. And I was curious how that affected and why was it important to change a name in relation to identity. Before, the school was called in Dutch Opleiding Moderne Dance, so modern dance so education. And that implicates that we would educate dancers. We were looking for different kinds of information to inform the awareness of body mm. or different kind of practices to develop the idea of what dance is mm -hmm. instead of uh, just building on, on a tradition of modern dance. Mm -hmm. There was more the space to experiment, to do research and also to train people who became makers. I graduated in 78 with a full evening of my choreographies. And so I never felt myself that I was trained to be a dancer to in the future dance in somebody else's company. How was the school back in the 80s? I was studying in the 70s and then you can say it was quite a Dutch school with Dutch teachers mm -hmm. from here, choreographers from here, Dutch students basically. Mm -hmm. In the 80s it changed a lot because uh, we got many teachers from America people like Steve Paxton. These American artists and teachers, they were traveling all over the country and they were speaking about this school. So we attracted also more uh, foreign students. So in the 80s, the student body became more international and a lot of the teachers were more American. But what also happened in that time is it was not yet clearly a maker school. It wasn't. Many people would choose to become dancers or become body workers or something like that. We had large classes, mm -hmm. 20 to 24 students, which is now only nine. And also the, everybody started to move in a very similar way, like soft technique rolling over the floor. In the end, something I didn't like because mm -hmm. the students come from all over the world with a different background yeah. and it would be so nice if they can develop their own movement language. Mm -hmm. And that happened later. So yeah, 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 that's the feeling I got yeah. with also reading the book. Yeah. So the cultural diversity was not actually being used in the style. These were also the years where you were researching. You were very much influenced by the the teachers and the students. I was a teacher yeah. then, and also making work. Yeah. And there came such interesting artists mm -hmm. and fabulous information came through. Okay. So I learned a lot from that. In '94, I was co-director. And so I did an, just a busy job. I was teaching and being a director. And there was a question how to develop the school further. In that dialogue, I really felt the need to take a break. And I wanted to go 
outside my own culture to study something. And so then I went for three months. I went away. And that was a very good decision. And I came back with a much more relaxed and clear vision about what I want. I also felt like maybe I don't want to be director anymore and just continue with my own research and maybe perform again. Mm -hmm. So a little bit later, I did that and I stepped back. Interesting. Yeah. Because it was really a, a, um, talking about identities and adaptation. It was really that moment, those three months were essential for you to leave us one Rhea behind, create a new Rhea and come back with the mix of both, maybe the one that was resting and the one that got, was being created. Maybe I recognized myself better. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. what is dance and what is modern dance. And there are so many criteria. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I grew up in dance, I made performances and people would just look at it and say, that is not dance, oh. you know. Judgmental. Yeah, I really have always been interested in the very human approach mm -hmm. and not so much in what dictates what is the dictation from the tradition only it is a good to know your traditions but on the other hand how do you keep developing mm -hmm. and i also had a strong feeling that the experience and the feeling quality of the people in this case the students mm -hmm. were important to include and allow them to do research because yeah. you've experienced that yourself yeah. when you were away, of course. Yeah. So yes, I now understand that why was the importance for that traveling research for your movement practices. It's yeah. almost like you are an, um, how should I put this, a dancing anthropologist. <laughs> One of your students says something here that I, I enjoyed. I must say, Ria's classes are rather confronting for the students a place where they go through a maturity and transformative process with the result of empowerment as person, performance, movers, makers. In her classes, she addresses issues of risk, fear, death, danger, and sexuality as life forces that need to participate in everything that we do as an important source related to the real and to be receptive and passionate about everything. Guillaume Mont de Paolo, that's his name. I'm famous for saying that this idea of drop your mind in your body, that's from my Indonesian teacher. <laughs> and I keep talking a lot about the belly, mm -hmm. like to really go below your respiratory diaphragm, enter that space inside. Yeah. And also that sexual energy is not only for sex, it's basically life energy. So feel it, yeah. stay in touch with it, don't close the box and only operate from the top of your torso and your, your head and yeah. your thinking, but really dive in under the, <laughs> into the depth of your torso, deep in there and yeah. use and operate from there. Yeah. So the feelings are also uh, activated yeah. with that. I imagine that for dancers and performances, it's perhaps easier to have access to that body. I don't know. You, don't, you wouldn't no. do it because... No, particularly yeah. because if you are a ballet dancer, for mm. instance, eh? or if you're a very strong technical dancer, you use a lot the skeleton and the skeleton muscle, and it's all about line and stuff. I did work once with a very well-trained uh, ballet dancer, mm -hmm. and it was very difficult for him to enter something like a sense of organs yeah. in the body because the, there were other patterns. You know, this, uh, the, the purpose of that training is different, and maybe the human aspect is less addressed. So I turn it completely inside out. It must be quite confronting, especially for a student who has been so many years 
perfecting his uh, techniques and methods mm. and seeing his body as uh, structured and then all of a sudden there's more there's more layers there's yeah but it is the the way that the body is programmed yeah so the, the ballet training is a very strong program program <laughs> in a way and um, what is important for me is to train students in connectedness so to understand where the blocks are yeah. in your body on the horizontal levels like in your shoulders or your diaphragm your pelvic floor yeah. and to from the floor to the top and back that it has a fluid fluid yeah. and when people move with that yeah. it's often beautiful you know you create you can create total beauty and you know you don't need to learn steps all the time i was also curious about also through your story the case of fear you mm -hmm. say fear is extremely important for the research and uh, you actually shared the ceremony you had in Tezmakal, that's correct yeah. so fear is important for movement you would say i work a bit with the chakras and fear is the demon, so to say, from the first chakra. And the, the archetype, the, the counterpart of the demon is the earth mother. Mm -hmm. Like to be really comfortable in the earth and to really work with the sense of gravity, work on your body mm -hmm. and just, mm -hmm. yeah. And fear, the moment we experience fear, it pulls you up, uh, away from your roots, in a way it pulls you up your roots. Yeah. So to be able to relax back into your roots again and yeah. find stability in there. If you experience fear and understanding that fears that fear can is pulling you up. Yeah. You know? <gasps> when yeah. you do that it's up. If you realize that, mm -hmm. then to relax a little bit and find your way back. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Wait a moment. Ah yeah. Oh I need <laughs> to calm down and yeah. I can be grounded yeah. again. How do you then bring those experiences to your classes? How do your students are confronted with fear? Yeah, some time ago I was working a lot with fear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I tried to bring some awareness like also to ideas of shame and guilt and all these things, the demons. Yeah. Uh, and how do you deal with your demons? And we laugh about it too. <laughs> and there can be many, many demons. Yeah. And sometimes in the creative process, you have to face your demons. You know what I mean? How do you do that? So it's yeah. more like, how, how, how can we dance with them? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's not necessarily such a heavy thing. It's, okay. it's, a, it's quite real, yeah. realistic okay. in a way. You could use it as a metaphor yes, for yes, life, yes. right? For everything that yeah. we but you can also feel it. I think everybody can relate to feelings of guilt and how much that has to do with the way you are brought up. Going into chakras, well, we, we already touched upon this, this idea of energy. Well, I don't speak so much about energy. Is it not energy? No. Because the chakras are wheels of energy to the... I know. Yeah. But uh, I, I say that because when I was younger, I was taught, eh, dance, and then people spoke a lot about energy, and that became so abstract, okay. in yes. a way. So also when I work with chakras, I relate very much to organs, oh. and to the function of the yes. chakras, but I don't speak much about energy, I yeah. speak about feeling, feel it. So the difference between chakras 
as those points where there's interconnection of energy and energy in a more abstract sense. There, that's, that difference is important to understand better how the body works in its whole. I like people to feel the body, to feel themselves yeah. in the body. And of course, the feeling is not only in the body, it's also beyond you. The, the space just, so it's okay, you can call it energy, mm -hmm. but I stopped doing it because I find it too vague in a way. And when other people talk about their experience, they can use any word they like. But I, in a way, I like it. I'm pragmatic, yes, in a way. Good. So, And also, if you talk about chakra and meditation, for instance, for me, meditation is being in your body. Mm. I do a practice with just laying down mm -hmm. for a while and then see if you can stay in your body. It mm -hmm. just means, like, is your mind going to let's say your shopping list or your event yesterday or what you're going to do tomorrow. That's, that's a kind of way to get out of your body. And I would like to practice to stay in and really, let's say, follow your breaths, yeah. the temperature of your body, stay in here. I uh, also have another quote that I would like you to read. Listen to the body and the space with curiosity and become a virtuous dancer in the world of ideas. Wow. <laughs> I love this quote because it applies to everything, and especially in my own experience to design. And I would like to add the quote of the student. Liberate the body from its own limitations every day. Create limitations to explore new hidden potentialities. This is Fernando Belfiore, mm -hmm. another student. Besides the school, how do you bring the virtuous dancer outside of school? Hmm. Sorry, first I want to say Fernando Belfiore is a great colleague right now. He's ah, a long time ago student. Great, <laughs> yeah, great, great. Yeah. Um, well, on one hand, this work has brought me more confidence. When I'm in a conversation and I can stay relaxed enough, I'm not so yeah. worried. So yeah. it's your presence then, yeah. I think. What I like to do when I teach people, it's also performance presence. Mm. That's, that's what I speak about a lot. Like how you stay connected and fluid connections with mm. your body, your mind, and receiving space. Mm. That creates a certain presence. It's also an invitation. I had benefit from my own practice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. how you do it. But I also like to work with anybody. Like um, I go to on holiday to Greece sometimes, and there is somebody that has a studio. I teach a few classes to the people there. Oh. But still in form of teaching, but yeah. I like to share it with anybody. And these people are not dancers, not all of them. Yeah. But they, they like to practice to connect more with their bodies. Yeah. You yeah. know, and they can take it on. In fact, yeah, I could work with yeah. anybody. I also really like the approach you take on the book about the teachings reflection and how the creative process is all about interaction, interaction with your students, the adaptation, again, we go back, and also the diversity. Like, it's exactly what you were saying in the beginning. I have one more note for you to read, because I also really like it. Okay. Working with the whole group can create a situation in which everyone is in their individual space and universe. It is sometimes good to explore and process information individually, but this can lead to attitudes that are too introvert, 
or lack awareness of space and the other. Our profession is about communication, so in our practice, interaction is a good way to create a space where both inner motivation and external stimulation meet. I really like it. In the same way that you work with your classroom, if that is a sample of where we live in, why is it so important then if we use movement to shape everything around us? I like people to be in touch with themselves. Uh, and then what is movement? It can be dancing and moving your body. But how can you understand the space that you live in and how do you want to move in there? I think the body is the source for giving you direction. So if people are not in their bodies, but just follow the blah blah of... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. not, yeah. I mean, yeah. I really appreciate very intellectual and, and all that yeah. kind of world, yeah. but if it's disconnected from really how you experience yourself, that is a source that needs to be um, included. Uh, if you talk about the chakras, for instance, the, the, the highest chakra on the mm -hmm. top of your head, uh, the demon of that, I say sometimes, it's too much religion. You know, it's like trusting yeah. the book. Yeah. or trusting the teacher, or trusting the leader. If the leader uh, goes in the wrong direction, where are you? And you can think about it, but I still feel that the body is a library of mm -hmm. knowledge and information, and you can really connect with that. And nobody can feel the inside of my body, <laughs> or how I feel yeah. in there. And yet, for me, it is a very important source to move around, or to figure out where am I going to place myself in the society or where do I move uh, something if I want to. I, I like sometimes to, um, if something is too set, you know, to make it, I'm more happy. You're trying to find the point of, yeah. okay, well, how, how could can we you escape <laughs> or bend it a bit? Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah, to keep it open, to keep it breathing. But through my life, I think, I constantly have been learning and also mm. changing my point of view on so many things, really depending on the input mm. or the experience or where you are. Mm. Suddenly you get a new insight and yeah. then you change your mind. Yeah, 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 because you have created this empathy also yeah. through it, how you open towards yeah. others. Yeah. I've also heard that you are working on a new book or perhaps uh, oh, creating. Not <laughs> Do you yet. want to share something <laughs> not about yet. it? Okay. <laughs> no, not yet. Okay. But uh, okay. I'm still working a lot, but uh, this will be my last year's mentor in the school. So that gives me a bit more time. Lately, I have conversations with people and that gives me a bit of a stimulus to write a bit more. In this book, I found a way to just cover a bit the kind of subjects yep. or the, that I use in my teaching. I think there's more. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to try to write some articles or something. I'm not thinking about a book, yeah. but at least make an attempt of taking some subjects yeah. and write a little bit more about it. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Maybe yeah. then we can have another conversation. Yeah. My last question is a bit of a co-creation. I was wondering if you could help me complete the following sentence. Movement is my constant because... It's life. Simple as that. Thank you very much.
It's been a pleasure having yeah, you here for me with too. your embodied knowledge. It's beautiful to see. I invite listeners to maybe grab a, a copy, uh, send you an email. Or they can connect with me on Facebook. Oh, also. perfect. Yeah, I will leave that information in the episode's description. Yeah. Thank you so much for your presence. Thank you too. Thank you. I only have two boxes left. <laughs> <laughs>